No, we'll, we'll have a video. We have never had so many videos in one service here, ever. Uh, it's good to see everyone today. Everyone doing good? If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to the book of Acts chapter 3. This is the fifth and final week of our Walk This Way series. Um, this, is the, this is the place where we're going to start, uh, knowing that this is Palm Sunday. The people who were welcoming Jesus into the city, the people who were waving palm branches, the people who were excited and just throwing down for Jesus as the new king, it was good news that Jesus was a different king than the one they were expecting. Um, and the question that I want to I start with us today on is this. Um, how is that still good news for us today? So as we, as we dive into our text in Acts chapter 3, as we think about walking, uh, which is what this whole series has been about, why is it good news that Jesus uh, would be the king that we, would not necessarily be the king that we want all of the time, but would always be the king that we need? So I want to invite you for the reading of God's word, if you're physically able, if you could stand with me. We're going to be coming from Acts chapter 3. If you do not have a Bible, there will be, the text will be on the screen, and you can follow along with me. So the, the, early, the church has just started. We're in the first couple of months of it. And here we are picking up in verse 1 of Acts chapter 3. One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, would you speak to us today from your word? Would the good news of this text be good news for us today? In the name of Jesus, in the authority of Jesus, in the power of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. 
So I want to, what I want to do is I want us to, I want to, I want us to posture and position ourselves uh, to receive what it is that Jesus wants to give us today. Um, and, and very simply, I think what Jesus wants to give us today is an encounter with him. Uh, and so in if what we did at the beginning of the first half of our services, we spent a lot of time praising God, a lot of time singing at the top of our voices, moving with him, raising our hands. We are in that same position now. All right. And so I, the same spirit that we were in that place, it needs to continue as we move forward. Uh, and so I've, I've just asked the guys to continue to play because we're going to make a pretty smooth transition from this time into a time where like we're asking that God would continue his encounter. So we encountered him at the beginning. We fully anticipate through the grace of Jesus Christ that we would encounter him now and that encounter will continue. Uh, Today what I want us to do is I want us to learn from a broke man who had no power, no influence, and no working legs. Why do we want to do that? Because what we see in this text is that that man seems to know a lot more about being a Christian than maybe most of us in this room. So very simply, what we're going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to read through the text and we're going to stop at a couple of different points. And there are going to be some things that like, I'll just press down on and then we're just going to move on. Um, so this isn't going to be like point one, point two, point three sermon today. Uh, we're just gonna we're gonna press down some things. This is gonna be a time where like I'm just gonna throw some stuff up against the wall. Some of it's gonna stick in our hearts. Some of it's not. It's okay. We're trusting that the Holy Spirit is just gonna sift that. So let's just pick up again at verse one. If you have a Bible, you can follow along. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple courts at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. Let's pause there. That that phrase, every day, is an incredibly important one in this particular text if we're going to understand the experience of both the man who is begging, but what it is for us um, if we are going to encounter Jesus. This man was born crippled, and he had, he had been de- begging for decades. Like, decades. Every day, day after day, after day. Like for him, in, th- in this day and age, the, the, time, the place and space where he lived, not having working legs meant that you couldn't work. Like that's what it meant. So this is what it was. One area of brokenness for him, and for him that, that area of brokenness was physical brokenness, had created another area of brokenness in his life. And then that area of brokenness created another area of brokenness, and it just continued to spread. So I I think that the problem for us is that we sometimes, because of uh, where we live uh, in the United States, uh, for some of us who were born with privilege, for others of us who were not, um, we can we can find it very difficult to understand what that what that sense of begging looks like, feels like. Um, And and my worry for us is that what we won't actually realize. Um, is that apart from Jesus, we are all beggars. Like, do we remember what it was like to be beggars for, the, for, for anything to change? We desperately needed something to change. Like, do we remember when, like, 
what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to just talk about a couple of different experiences that we might have. Maybe just one of these will catch you. But do you remember when th- there was a day when every day you just couldn't stop drinking? Do you remember when every day you couldn't stop dreaming of a relationship that never, ever came? And it consumed you. Do you remember when every day you, you desperately tried not to look at porn and to give yourself to that, but you did anyway? Do you remember when every day you, there was this person that you lost, they died, and there was this grief and it took over you? And it has overpowered you. And you have never been the same since then. And you just sense yourself descending. Do you remember when every day the anxiety crashed into you like a wave and it completely crippled your ability to function? Do you remember when every day you binged just a little bit more on Netflix? Just a little bit more being less present from the people around you and more present on your phone? Do you remember when every day you woke up in the morning with this gnawing pit in your stomach, not knowing how you're going to pay the rent, not knowing how you're going to put food on the table, not knowing how you're going to put clothes on your kids' backs? Do you remember when every day the rage inside of you, the rage that you have tried to deal with over and over to keep bottled up, it eventually, every day, it overpowered you. And every day it exploded out of you. Do you remember when every day the urges you had took more and more and more control of your life? Do you remember how every day you wanted to be kind, but there was always just a little bit more bite to you? And every day you got harder and harder and harder and more callous and more callous and more callous. Do you remember how every day you wanted it to be different and every day was exactly like the day before? Do you remember when you were so at the end of yourself that like this man sitting at a temple gate, you had given up all hope that life could be different? All hope. This, this is a story about a man who for decades of time was carried to a place and he was begging for something that he could not get. Because one area of his life had taken over another area, had taken over another area. And the man, for him, it started from a place of physical brokenness. And for some of us in the room, that's a very real thing. We have that physical brokenness and it has spread. For others of us, there's emotional brokenness or wounding. For others of us, there's something in our mind that has taken hold of who we are and it has spread. And we are at the end of ourselves have we given up hope that life could be different? So in, uh, in the Jewish tradition, there is uh, this thing called overstatement. And it goes something like this. I'm going to say something that is stronger than it is actually true. And it's to provoke you. So in that spirited tradition, let me say this. If you don't remember a time when you were this far out of hope, this at the end of yourself, you might not have met Jesus yet. If you don't remember a time when you were this far gone, you might not have met Jesus. You might have met like a civic version of Jesus. You might have met a therapeutic version of Jesus. You might have met a Jesus that like could fill some particular thing that you needed, but that doesn't mean that you have met Jesus. This isn't just a story 
of a man crippled from birth begging for money. This is your story. This is my story. We are all beggars in some way, shape, or form in need of God's mercy. And when we lose sight of that, we stop seeing the very real needs of the person right in front of us who might actually be begging. Like that we could see someone and not see someone. Like how all of these things are tied together. Verse 3. When Peter, when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from him. That, that phrase, look at us. Like clearly, the man, when, when he is begging, like he is at first not expecting to receive anything. We, there's a way when you are in a crowded public space to beg for money from everyone who passes when you've gotten to a point where for decades you know that like maybe one out of 500 people give. Like you're not trying to like catch everyone's eye attention, eye, eye contact. You're just trying to like get that one in 500 that will finally give to you. He's asking with no expectation that he's going to get anything. And when Peter and John like actually stop, like this isn't a man who's accustomed to being seen. This isn't a man who's accustomed to getting eye contact. He is not expecting much of anything at all. He probably did not even expect it to be treated with the dignity at all. Eye contact means you are being seen. That you're human. That he has probably given up on being treated like that long, long, long ago. And so while it's Peter and John there, Peter and John who are there, the person he's really coming into contact with is Jesus Christ. It is Jesus who sees this man. It is Jesus who wants this man to be seen. And this is a man who is, all it says in verse 3 is like, he's just asking everyone who walks by for money, can you help, can you help, can you help, can you help? He has very, very real needs. There is this thing that this man wants. That's what he wants. He's wanting money. And that isn't a bad thing. He needs it. He genuinely needs that money. What this man is wanting is a transaction. But what Jesus is looking for was a divine interaction. Like the good news for this man, the good news for this man, was that, he, that Jesus wasn't just willing to give this man what he wanted but he was willing to go above and beyond and to give him what he needed at a foundational, fundamental level that was beyond what this man could hope or dream or long, long, long ago had dared to even imagine. He went right to the root of all the stuff. And so what is it that this man do, that, that, that Peter does? He looks at it, he's like, look, silver or gold, I do, I I don't have it. Like, I do not have it. But what I have, like, I give to you. Now, this is, this is the the one point that I want to underline for Peter uh, that we can learn here. And it is Jesus, it's Peter's posture in this moment, which is, and we see this happening over and over and over again in the New Testament, in the early church, which is this, like, whether we have money or not is immaterial. The thing that is most important that we can give people is Jesus Christ. Now, that sometimes comes with money. 
that sometimes comes with inviting people to live with us. That sometimes involves in like, I will help you in whatever way I can. Whatever networks I have, they're yours. Whatever clothes I have, they're yours. Whatever I have, everything that we have is yours. But the foundational thing that we can give people is Jesus Christ. I think this is really important for us to hear because sometimes we feel as if there is this, like we have to either choose like mercy and justice or we have to choose Jesus. When we choose Jesus, we choose mercy and justice. You do not get Jesus without mercy and justice. And if you get a Jesus that doesn't include mercy and justice, you might not have met Jesus. You might have met an Americanized version of Christianity that is false. That's a really important one for us to see. Peter walks up to this man and is like, look, silver or gold, I don't have. But what I have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Get up. Walk. And it says he reached down, he takes him by the right hand, he lifts him up. The man works with Peter. And it says instantly his ankles and his knees become strong. Instantly, his, his ankles and his feet become strong. He jumps to his feet and he begins to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. If you grew up in the church, there is probably a song that you have heard that you are forced to sing as a child. And you might, I don't want to say you have nightmares, but like you can hear them in your dreams. Like, he went walking and leaping and praising. Like, no, we're done on the singing part. There will not be any more singing tonight, Toya. I filled my quota for singing. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. And this is the one that I want us to zero in on. The same man. The power, the gut punch of the story is simply this. These people... Like they heard that this thing happened to this man and they were looking right at him and they had seen this man and had walked by him for decades and they knew that he was the same person. They could not deny it. I mean, they just couldn't do it. The man wasn't trying to convince people of the existence of God. Like he wasn't trying to persuade them by clever arguments that Jesus was raised from the dead. He wasn't looking to have the right answer to every single question. At the end of the day, the man knew the answer to one single solitary question. Who healed you? And his answer probably went something like this. Well, there's two guys. Uh, There's uh, Peter and this dude, John. He didn't say anything. But they told me that the person that healed me was Jesus Christ of Nazareth. They said that Jesus did it. The power is the simplicity of this. One day he was lame, and the next day he was walking. One day he was lame, and the next day he was walking. If you're a Christian tonight, and I'm not assuming that everyone in this room is, I want to push you on a couple of things tonight. And it's, it, we're, we're, we're kind of starting to close in, just so you know. This is what we tend to do. Like, our story tends to be, like, I was, I was that beggar. And maybe that was, like, I, I actually found myself in this physical state of 
desperate need. For some of us, it was a spiritual state, an emotional state, a relational state, another kind of physical state, a mental, like we found ourselves at the end of the end of the end of the end of ourselves. And then we're like, and Jesus rescued me and he saved me. And my life was never the same. And as the days and the weeks and the months and the years go by, the story that we start to tell over time starts to become a lot more about me and a lot less about Jesus. What we tend to do, this is so important for us to understand because where this is going, what we tend to do is we start to, to ever so subtly change and give a little bit of revisionist history to our story. Where it really wasn't so bad. And what eventually subtly happens over time is that like, It was really my effort with a little bit of like magic Jesus dust sprinkled on top. That's where it ends up. Thank you, Carolyn. It is true. We prefer a cleaner story over a power-filled story. There is a mile of difference between transparency and vulnerability. Let me, let me tell you what I can do with transparency. I can self-select what I'm going to be transparent about. Transparency means like what I'm going to do, because we, we are all learning what it looks like to have a master's degree in image management, even if you haven't graduated middle school yet. Is, is this, like I'm going to share just enough of my story to make you think that I'm being vulnerable, even though me sharing that cost me nothing. And you're going to think when you hear that, that I did show a a considerable degree of weakness in sharing that, a considerable degree of vulnerability, and so you must be holy. Because we now live in this Christian day and age where holiness isn't perfection, it's transparency. And so we're okay saying that like we sin a little. But like when we do that, what we do is deny the power of what it is that Jesus saved us from. We deny his power. And what we have to continue to come back to with the gospel is that Jesus was not sent to make bad people good. He was sent to bring dead people to life. The way that Paul talks about it is he says, like, you were dead in your sins and your transgressions. You were done. It was over. You were so far past hope, so far past the end of yourself that it was over. Like when you wanted to do something good, you were powerless to even do it. And this thing called sin spread like a virus and it overpowered you and it overtook you and it looked to burn down every single last thing in your life that was important to you. And when you look back on that, if you're a Christian, you're like, I mean, Jesus had a little to do with it. Like, let me, let me just like tell you what it is that you're doing. We don't focus so much on like that everyday part. Like every day the man was brought to the temple gates, every single day for decades. And our desire not to be associated with the dead person that Jesus raised to life, we have forgotten that we have to own the fullness of our story. And when we do that, this, when, we, when we do not own the fullness of the power that was needed to bring me from death to life, we get used to thinking it was our power and our strength that did it. When that happens, when we start to, to retell our story in a way that puts us in a position of power to bring ourselves from death to life, 
actively now in the present, we block the power of God to deal with all the stuff that he saved us from. She's like, I don't understand. Like, I, I, I experienced freedom from this sin. And now I'm back. Now, again, we're not talking about, like, you have to be perfect. This isn't about perfection. It's there is this sin that you had, and it was ruling you. It was overtaking you. You were a slave to it, and I was a slave to it. And Jesus brought freedom, and then suddenly, like, I find myself being like, well, really, I'm the one who's at the center of this hero story, aren't I? And we find ourselves slave to it again. Like when we do not tell the full story, when we are not constantly remembering how Jesus rescued us from the real place that we were in, what eventually happens, it's not being, it's not being because we're backsliding into sin. It's we are rejecting the power of God that he offers us to deal with the sin he came to free us from. So Paul in Galatians 5, he's like, look, it is for freedom that Christ has set yourself free. Do not take on a yoke of slavery again. What are you doing? So when you have a story that's like, this was dead and this was dead and this was dead and this was dead and this happened and this happened. Sometimes we're like, I'm going to polish that thing up a little so it makes me look better. The point is we all look terrible. We were all lost. We were all burning down. We were all done for. We were all going to die. And we were all going to have to be alone in the place of that for all of eternity without Jesus. And he brought that dead person to life. We were all in the same sinking ship. We were all beggars in need of God's mercy. All of us. Every single one of us. And when we start to think, well, like... I. It, it, it probably took a little less juice to save Beth than it did to save me. It's over. Like, it, it took the exact same amount of juice to save you, to save you, to save you, to save you, to save you. There, there is no ordering to this. There's no ordering to this. Jesus, His grace... The exact same amount was needed to save every single one of you, and it is the exact same amount that is needed to keep you today in that freedom. To walk in power, we must all be beggars in need of Jesus, and to never leave that position of weakness. That's why Paul, he's writing a church who is just like fighting for their life around this, and he's like, please, please, please remember the way that I came to you. I came to you with a very simple message. Christ died and he came back to life. And you've kind of seen the power that has come with that in real life. He died and he rose to life and there was power that accompanied that. That was it. That's all I, I didn't come with clever arguments, though I could have. I didn't try to persuade you, though I could have. I didn't try to tell you that I was better than I was. I told you I was a murderer because he was. Because if God could save me, he could save you. And if God could deal with me right now and give me the freedom that I'm experiencing today, then he could do the same for you. But we cannot do that if we don't understand the difference between transparency and vulnerability. Vulnerability is like, I will be vulnerable about like the worst parts of my past. And I will have a trusted group of people who are fighting for my highest possible good that I will be ruthlessly honest with. That I'm not going to give shades of the truth. I'm going to give the truth. If you want to know someone who is really 
really passionate about this particular point, say hello to Ramesh. Just kind of wave your hand, Ramesh. This idea of, 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 of ruthless confession, of ruthless honesty about where we're at. If you have questions about that, if you want to know what that looks like in practice, Ramesh Wejasuriya is your man. Lawson's pretty great too. But my, my point is this. You can, like the, the power that was needed to bring you from death to life, you need that power every single day. The moment you think that that power is not needed, you're toast. Not because like you have to worry about like God doesn't love you. Not because you have to worry that like, am I going to be with him forever? It's you have the ability to live in freedom now, like right now. And you need someone else's power to live into that freedom now. We are coming into Easter. We, we, we are hitting Good Friday on Friday, Sunday, obviously Resurrection Sunday. We're coming into Holy Week. We needed to be rescued and we constantly need to be rescued. And so the place for us as we're on this Palm Sunday is simply to enter into this posture of like, of weakness. Like, I know this is really difficult for like Americans. Like, we, th- this, is not a, this is not an American thing. Um, and what we've done is we've spun it just a little to be like, well, I'll be strong with a smidge of transparency. With a little Jesus dust sprinkled on top. It is only in your weakness that he can be strong. You have to embrace your weakness. I'm going to ask the band to come up. Ultimately, this is, this is what the, the, where the story ends. Um, if you look at... If you look in Acts chapter 4... They uh, clearly like this. This raises a bit of like a kerfuffle, if you will, in the city of Jerusalem. People are like, "What in the world is going on?" So they bring this dude in front of all of the different people who are the religious rulers, and they have like this giant discussion about it. And this is what it says: It says, "When they saw the courage of Peter and John, who were like defending what just happened, and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus." Verse 14, but since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. Like each of you have people in your life all around you who can testify to the fact that you were once bound and now you are free. The invitation is to be this man who chose to participate with what it is that God was doing through Peter and John and to struggle up and stand so that God could change him. Would we be those people today? Amen.